Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Parklawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Parklawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. In a moment, I'm going to talk about the church of a different kind because that's what the world is looking for. That's what the world needs, not just church as usual, normal church, ordinary church, but a different kind of church. But before I do that, I uh, do want to just acknowledge the, the prayers and partnership of the leaders and the people of Parkland Assembly of God. I recognize that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, we are many members, you wear many parts, yet we're one body. We're many members of the body, but there's only one body. And so what happens to one happens to all of us. Sometimes I think we don't, we don't live in that reality. We live very individualistically, very independently. Uh, we live to ourselves. We were created to live and be a community, to live in community. And um, there will be people in heaven who will acknowledge you because you gave. You might not have been the one who preached or you might not have been the one who uh, who directly impacted their lives at that moment, but you were part of it. And uh, Parklawn, we have that kind of heritage, that kind of legacy. Recently, many of you know that, that I visited several places, several countries, uh, and I will allow these countries to remain unnamed uh, because the recording uh, and the publication, or whether it's on social media or uh, any type of information that might get back to these countries, it could jeopardize the safety, uh, the lives, and the health of the uh, Christian workers that are in these locations. But these are places where martyrdom is possible. It's very possible. I don't think we, we don't take that in here in America um, because of our individualistic Western mindset. Um, there are places where uh, Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism are very powerful and very present. And they make no allowance and no room for the gospel of Jesus Christ or the name of Jesus Christ or the people of God. And I'm often asked the question, even before I traveled and uh, even when I came back, uh, is it safe for you to go there? To these places and I believe that's the wrong question to ask is it safe I think the right question is are you being wise as you go that's the right question because God never called us to be safe he called us to be wise as serpents and harmless as dove not to be safe come on if we're gonna be safe ain't nobody gonna get saved if we're going to be safe, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to happen. If, if you had been playing it safe, you never would have gotten married. Nothing happens if you play it safe. No wonder why the church is stuck in a rut. And God is wanting to see a church of a different kind. The world is wanting to see a church of a different kind, not a safe church but a church that's being led and guided by the Holy Spirit. I realize, and I want you to understand this. You know, we don't like to talk about death in, the, in America, especially uh, in Western society uh, and, and some cultures. You know, we don't want to talk about death. We don't want to talk about life insurance. 
you know, we don't want to talk about end time realities as if it's going to hasten the day if we talk about it. No, it's not. Sometimes death glorifies God. I ain't getting no amens on that. Sometimes death glorifies God. The three Hebrew boys, when they were faced with the fiery furnace or a choice to bow and bend the knee to the king and worship the golden image, said to the king, we're not going to bow, we're not going to bend, and we don't believe we're going to burn because the God that we serve is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us, but if not... Because I don't know. We might die. But we're still not going to bend. They were saying, we're going to give our last breath to the glory of God. The, the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, they all suffered. They, they were martyrs. Paul and Peter were both martyred in Rome. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down at his request since he did not feel worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. Andrew went to the land of the man-eaters, what is now the Soviet Union. Christians there claimed that he was the first to bring the gospel to their land. He also preached in Turkey, what is modern-day Turkey, in Greece, and it is said that he had been crucified. Thomas, whom we know to be the doubter, Thomas went uh, to the Far East, to India. And Christians revere him as the founder of the one who brought the gospel there. They claim that he died when he was pierced through with the spears of four soldiers. Philip had a powerful ministry in North Africa. In retaliation of his preaching, Philip was arrested and cruelly put to death. Matthew, the tax collector, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, ministered in Persia and in Ethiopia. And others say that he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. I mean, I could go on and on and on. But sometimes death glorifies God. Death, oh, where is your sting? Grave, oh, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, but Jesus has taken the sting out of death. It's the story I tell sometimes at funerals about a, a father and his children. They were, on, they were in the funeral procession as, as they were on their way to the cemetery to lay to rest this man's dear wife and the mother of these children. And they were all heartbroken and grieved at the, at the sting of death. And there was a hot sunny day and the windows were cracked to get some air in and a bumblebee flew into the, into the car and the children were just terrified that they were going to be stung by the bee. But the father, in his tears, he reached out his strong hands and he grabbed the bumblebee in his hand. And the children looked as they saw the father grimace in pain because they knew the bee was stinging him. And then the father opened up his hands and released the bumblebee. And he continued to fly around the car. And the father said, you don't have to be afraid anymore because he only has one sting and I've taken it in my hands. See, that's what Jesus has done for us. He took the sting of death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Satan has no more victory. He has no more triumph. He has no more authority. He has no more keys. Jesus took the keys of hell and death. That's why Paul said to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. There is a life, church, that God wants us to live that brings greater glory to him than the life that the church is currently experiencing. I, I, I'm not against prosperity and wealth and comfort and houses and cars and clothes and all of that. Don't misunderstand me. All those things are good. But there's something greater than that that bring God glory. There are many times that, that we are running away from opposition and pushback. We literally make a truce with the devil. You leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. Just let me live my life. Let me pursue my goals. My goals. And while we're doing that, 
we're not living at the fullest realm of the glory and the pleasure of God. Because God has an agenda. God has a priority. If you really want to please him, you tap into what's important to him. And, and, and in Matthew 24, these very same apostles that I just mentioned, they, they asked Jesus, they said, Lord, what's going to be the sign of the end of the world? What's going to be the sign of your second coming? And, and Jesus said there's going to be uh, wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be famines and diseases and earthquakes in various places. There are going to be false prophets that come in my name. There are going to be many that are going to do powerful miracles and signs. They're going to deceive many. The love of many are going to grow cold. But in verse 14 of Matthew 24, he said this. He says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The gospel must first be preached to all nations everywhere in the world. Jesus cannot come until the gospel has been preached to every nation. There are still 7,000 people groups, tribes, villages, countries, nations, clans, languages all over the world that have never heard the name Jesus Christ, that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he cannot come until we go. But is it safe? That's the wrong question. Is it wise? I believe the Lord is calling us. This morning I, I was in prayer with the leadership team before the start of the service and the Lord just said elevation. I believe God is calling this church to to be elevated, to go to a, to a higher level, to a higher place of worship, to a higher place of sacrifice. The song comes to my mind, Zion is calling us to a higher place of praise, like Abraham. Abraham, go up to Mount Moriah and offer up your son Isaac, your only son, the one you love. Come on, God is calling us out of our comfort. He's calling us out of, he's calling us out of our materialism. He's calling us out of our hedonism, which is self-pleasure. He's calling us out of our, our humanism, which is me first, exalting human, humanity and the mind and the will of man. He's calling us to a higher place of praise. He's elevating us, and he's saying that, listen, every one of us must either leave all or leverage all. Leave all. That's what the apostles did. They left all. They left their fishing business. They left family behind for the cause of Jesus Christ leaving all behind. Paul said, I count all things as loss that I may know him and I may be found in him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. I'm willing to leave all. And those of us who choose not to leave all, your only other option is to leverage all. All that you have, your time, your talents, your treasures, your house, your car, your influence, your voice, your body, giving it all for the sake of the priority of Jesus Christ, that this gospel be preached to every nation around the world, then the end will come. I'm convinced that these apostles, what motivated them to, to travel the Roman roads? They were, they were roads that God literally caused the Roman government to pay for so the gospel could be spread around the world. What would cause them to risk dangers, floods and famine and, and, and robbers and, and the elements and the heat, the sun, the wind, the rain to go over mountains, to go throughout the uttermost part? of What would motivate them to do that? Was it fear? No. It was a fire burning in their heart. Because Jesus told them that this gospel must be preached and then the end will come. In other words, they were saying, you mean I won't get to see you face to face again until the gospel is preached? There are some of us that we are more in love with the world than we are with Jesus. 
We have a desire to stay here more than we have a desire to see him face to face. It was that holy fire burning on the inside of them that stirred their hearts daily. Listen, I've got to tell somebody about Jesus because the more I tell about Jesus, the quicker it's going to be for him to come. Christ is waiting on a church of a different kind. He's wanted, waiting on a church that's more committed to soul winning more committed to disciple-making than, than we are to church services and concerts and conferences for Christians to continue to please ourselves and feed ourselves and entertain ourselves. He's looking for a church of a different kind, a church that looks like heaven, a church of every ethnicity, every language, every people group, every nation of the world. That's, that's what he's looking for. He's looking for a church like the Antioch church. In Acts chapter 13, it says that in this church there were prophets and teachers and there was Barnabas and Simeon and, and Lucius, a Cyrian, Menaean. There was Saul and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. It was a sending church. He's looking for an apostolic regional governing church. A church that's not just about who's coming. How many butts do we have in the seat? But it's about a church that's sending and going. It's a church that's not just committed to budgets and buildings. But a, but a church that, that is getting outside the four walls. And God is doing something in our season that if, we, if you have eyes to see, you begin to see people like Kanye West who's saying, you know what, I'm saved, I'm a part of the church, I am the church, but I don't have to be in a building. I can get out of the four walls. I know that just messed with some of y'all theology, but that's good because God's not interested in your theology. He's going to be God all by himself, whether you approve of him or not. But he's looking for a church of a different kind. In fact, the world's looking for a church of a different kind. The world's, the world's not interested in our 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock services. They're looking for a church. They're looking for a people. They're looking for a body, not a building. This is the type of church that is God's strategy for world redemption. The church of today will never redeem the world. The pace that we are on right now, the strategies and systems and structures and the mindset that we have as a church today will never bring about the redemption of the world, will never bring about the reaching of unreached people. It will just continue to feed us, make us fat, put us to sleep. Then we get mad, leave, go split the church, start another church and do it all over again. And all the while the devil is sending people to hell. Jesus is saying, I can't come until you go. We're saying, come. He's saying, go. Lord, when are you going to come? He said, when you go. There's a world that's waiting for a church of a different kind. And the church of a different kind is God's strategy to redeem the world. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to begin teaching here. And, and uh, what I don't finish today, we'll pick up next Sunday. Should the Lord tarry. Romans 8, 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creation is eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also would be delivered from the bondage of corruption and to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole world, the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together unto now. The world, the earth is waiting for the manifestation of a church of a different kind. Is waiting for the manifestation, he says, in verse 19, for the revealing of the sons of God. The, the world has not yet seen the sons of God. Well, I thought we were the sons of God. You're called to be the sons of God, but what the world has seen are the children of God. What am I talking about? If you were to exegete 
And for the sake of time, I won't do it all, but in Romans chapter 8, Paul begins and he transitions from Romans 6 and 7. And he talks about that he's in this bondage of sin, that he wants to do the will of God, but he can't. His mind wants to serve God, but his flesh won't. The things that he wants to do, he doesn't do. And the things that he does, he don't want to do. And he said, who's going to deliver me from this bondage of death? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. That's the solution. And then he picks up in Romans chapter 8 and 1 and says, There is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of the life in Christ Jesus has made me free from that law of sin and death. Now I'm free. Then he goes on and, and, and throughout Romans in the first 15 verses and talks about those who have been set free are no longer slaves to sin. We have the Spirit of God now on the inside of us. We are the children of God. He says in verse 16 and 17 that the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That means that you've been born of the Spirit. We often talk about, you know, I can, I can tell you were saved because my spirit bore witness with your spirit. Anybody ever heard that? There's something different about you. I just know you were saved because it seemed like we got the same spirit. You know what? You, you, we're both children of God. He goes on to verse 17 and says, not only are we the children of God, but we're heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That means we're in the same family, that we've been born of the Spirit. We've been born again. The Spirit of God is resident on the inside of us. And when Paul uses the word children of God, he uses a Greek word, technon, which means you're an immature child. You've simply been born in the family or you've been adopted into the family of God. Yes, we are the children of God, but that's all the world has seen are the children of God who are just happy to be in the family, who just happy to be saved, who just happy to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ and just can't wait for him to come and get us. That's what a baby do all day. Get me, get me, pick me up, feed me, change me, play with me, burp me, give me, give me, give me. That's what a baby, he says, that's what you are, you're technons. But that's not what the world is longing to see. They're longing to see the manifestation of the sons of God. And so for that, Paul uses a different word. He uses the word huios, which means mature sons. Sons who are capable of reasoning. Sons who are capable of handling responsibility. Sons who have a conduct that matches the conduct of their father, but they also have a character that looks like their father. That's what the world is waiting to see. This is the church that Christ is wanting to see. This is the church that the world is waiting to see. The church of a different kind. So what's going to help us to get from technons, immature babies who are just born into the family, to become huyos? What helps us to grow and to mature? Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. Because God's strategy is a church of a different kind. But how does, what's his strategy to get us to become that church? It's revealed to us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And God's method to get you to grow is called fivefold grace ministry gifts. In Ephesians 4 and 11, he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Some of you all were here last summer in 2019, and you might recall the teaching series that were introduced called Natural Church. Natural church, where God was recalling the church back to its original roots. The roots of fellowship and, and communion, that, that once you get saved, that, that you grow in community. That they met daily in the temple, but also from house to house, breaking bread with singleness and gladness of hearts. God is calling us back to roots. He's calling us back to reformation. Reformation. Martin Luther and, and many other spiritual leaders brought about spiritual reformation because the church had become an institution. 
It had become a place to come. It had become a, a place where the building was more important than the body. It had become a place where, where there were hierarchies of leadership. There, were, there was the clergy and there was the laity. And if you wanted a breakthrough, you needed to go see the clergy. You had no authority as a prophet, priest, or king of the Lord yourself. So God would raise up an apostolic leader like a Martin Luther. And they would begin to preach boldly. And, and some folk would say, Martin Luther, is it safe? He would say, that's the wrong question. I know they got a bounty on my head. I know they're trying to kill me, but, but I'm not trying to be safe. I want to be obedient. I want to be wise. God is calling us to restoration, the restoration of the church that's not just built on the back of a pastor. Somebody who's going to feed us, care for us, teach us, burp me, wipe my face, give me a good message that I like. Don't make it too long. And don't be mad at me when I just show up once a month or every now and again. That's how the church has been built on one of the graces. Every now and then we'll bring in an evangelist to come in and he'll blow in, blow up, and blow out. And we forget what he said. We don't apply. We, we, we let him do the soul winning. And we might have a teacher or two. So he's calling for a restoration, for a renewal of the Holy Spirit, a church where the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, like we experienced here this morning, that even before the Word came, during the flow of worship, there was healing and deliverance and restorations and prophetic words being revealed, signs, wonders, miracles. And the gifts were flowing. He's looking for a church. The world is looking for the revealing of the sons of God. But it takes apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to get us to that place of maturity and perfecting. We need to be a five-fold church to be a church of a different kind. And when we get to that place, oh, the church is a church unstoppable. It's a church unstoppable. The devil's not, he's not afraid of an ordinary church. Church where you're more concerned about, do, what, do my socks match my gaiters, and do my gaiters match my belt, and does my hat, do I have my hat on the right way? He'll give you all the gaiters and three-piece suits that you want. He's not afraid of that kind of church, but he's afraid of a church of a different kind. So let me take you back to the first verses of Ephesians chapter 4 because if we're going to be this church, the church has to respond to and be committed to unity. Everybody can't have their own agenda. So Paul begins in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 and he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He said, if you're going to be this kind of church, you've got to be committed to unity. Not only unity, but you've got to have an attitude of humility. You can't be walking around proud. Can't be walking around with your agenda first. You've got to have some meekness in your heart. That spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is meekness. Meekness is much different than weakness. Meekness is strength that's in reserve. That's what we saw with Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. He was meek when they beat him and when they mocked him and they cursed him and they spat on him. He had his strength under reserve. He could have called 10,000 angels. But he chose to die and save the world rather than set himself free. It's not about titles. It's about towels. Paul, who was called to be an apostle. In fact, Paul, throughout many of his letters, he introduces himself and says, I'm the least of the apostles, but I know that I'm called to be apostles. Paul was literally embarrassed by the fact that he had to defend his apostolic ministry. That, that there were those who questioned who he think he is. And he went on to talk about how, you know, they call themselves apostles, but listen, I know I'm apostle. I've suffered more than they have. I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned. I've been driven out of town. You call yourself an apostle. 
Paul was committed to the Jesus style of ministry, to live in meekness. That's what we have to be committed to. Unity is something that, that you, you got to be committed to work at. That's why Paul said, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the body. Sometimes it's hard to be in unity with some folks. You got to work at it. Whoo, I'm a, you know, I'm just going to hold, I'm just going to bite my tongue right now because I'm working on my unity. I'm just going to pray a little bit harder for you because I'm working on my unity. You got to work at it. Endeavor. Unity does not mean that we are anti-difference. Difference is good. Brothers, can I just get an amen? Aren't you glad that women are different than men? It's all right to say amen, brothers. Let me give you another chance. Aren't you glad that women are different than men? Amen. Difference is good. Difference, difference is not dangerous. <laughs> it's not dangerous. Disunity is. Difference is not disagreement. It's, it's, it's possible to be in unity, but also disagree. But when we disagree, we got to do it without being disagreeable. We got to do it without being disunified, without attacking the unity. Difference is not a detriment. But we got to fight against division because division is unhealthy. That's why Paul went on in verse 4. He says, there is one body. And one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Paul says what, what Pastor Marcus has been telling us, we got to keep the main thing the main thing. You got to stay focused on what's important. Not your pet doctrines. That's why we're teaching during the spire what we really believe as a church. Because we got to be in unity with this thing. We're going to be the church of a different kind. Now, when the church is united, it's a church unstoppable. Let me give you a little bit more. Let me give you a little bit more. The church not only has to be united, but the church must be untied. I, I love words. And if you look at the word united, you can also spell untied from it. When you untie something, you are releasing it. You are loosing it. Jesus told the disciples, go into such and such city and you will find a coat that nobody has ever written upon is going to be tied up. I want you to untie it, loose it. When, the, when, 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 uh, when, when his friend uh, uh, Lazarus was in the tomb, he said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came out still bound. He was alive, but he was still tied up. He said, loose him and let him go. When there was a woman who was bent over with the oppression of a demonic spirit, Jesus says, woman, thou art loosed. He untied her. He freed her up. When the church is untied, when the church is free, when the church has liberty, when the yokes and the, and the chains of a religious mindset are broken off the spirit and the mind of a church, the church will be unstoppable. But you got to be united. You got to be aligned with your gifts, with your money, with your time, with your talent, with your agenda. It's got to be aligned. It's got to be submitted in honor to the spiritual house that you call your local church. And then when you are united and then you bring yourself untied, recognizing who you are in the body of Christ, empowered by the spirit of God, recognizing that he's called us to be a church of a different kind, we will be unstoppable. We need all the gifts. We need all the gifts. We need, we, need, we need the weird gifts too. All of them. Every one of us, remember difference is not dangerous. It's not a detriment. We need everybody. We need all the gifts. Yes, we need you too sitting in the back. Because you, you like it, but you like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not fully going to commit. Yeah, we need you. I was thinking about some of the, some of the uh, national Christian leaders around America today. 
and, and you know you all know the names Joel Osteen. Oh, we don't I don't like Joel Osteen. We need Joel Osteen. I don't care if you like him or not. We need Joel Osteen. The man is an evangelist. How do you know he's an evangelist? Because evangelists are the most visible part of the body of Christ. Evangelists, the evangelists track, attract people to Jesus. Some of you all are evangelists. You don't even got the title. You don't even know it. But you just attract people to Jesus. Look in your row right now. Look in your row right now. You can tell if you're an evangelist. You're sitting there by yourself. You're not an evangelist. But if you brought three or four people with you, and you already thinking, who am I going to invite next week to church with me? You got an anointing of an evangelist. Kanye West is an evangelist right now. That man has an anointing of an evangelist. He's outside the walls of the church. There are, I'm hearing testimonies about people who are saying, you know, I don't know nothing about much church, but I'm, I'm coming because I, I, I heard Kanye talk about Jesus. I gave my life to Christ because I heard Kanye and, and Justin Bieber, they was doing this thing called, you know, Sunday church. And it wasn't in a building. That's an evangelist anointing. They attract people in numbers. We need Charles Stanley. Well, you know, he don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, you know, he's a good teacher and everything, but, you know, a good well, that's a pastor teacher for you. We need pastor teachers. When the church is united and untied, then we can follow Jesus in triumphant procession and victory. Because the victory has already been won. The sting has already been taken in his hand. And that's why, let me just continue back in Ephesians 4, in verse 8. That's why it says in verse 8, when he therefore, when, wherefore he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. He led captivity captive. That means that he triumphed in a procession, leading those souls who had faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob prior to his crucifixion and resurrection, but who were in a place that was not hell, but it was a holding place. It was called Abraham's bosom. He led them from that place of waiting, triumphantly preceding them up to glory, and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, above all principalities and power. He has the keys of hell and death. Earth is his footstool, heaven is his throne, and you and I are not only heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, seated with him in that place, but he has called us to be huios, to be mature sons who rule with his authority. So he gave gifts to men. Now he that ascended, what is it but that he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Just told you what he did there. But he that descended the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. We're already in Christ. So we got the victory. Then he goes on to tell us what I just read. And he gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. But I got to stop here. I got to stop here today. Just shake yourself right now, church. Just shake yourself. Shake yourself out of the rut. Shake yourself out of the mindset that is all about just coming to church and me getting what I want, getting my needs met. That is a pastoral-led, pastoral mindset of a church. God has called us to have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And listen, you're out there. You're out there. Some of you are apostles on your job. You got an entrepreneurial spirit. You are building things. That's what apostles do. They lay foundations and they build things. You know what Mark Zuckerberg is? He's an apostle. You know what he did? He built Facebook. You know what Facebook connects us to? Connects us to over 5 billion people on the face of the, world, on the, face of the earth. That man is an apostle. He's laid a foundation for the gospel to transfer through. Some of you all have an apostolic anointing on your job. 
You're laying foundations. You're laying roads. You're laying tracks. God help us. God help us. Just begin to play something softly right now. I want to invite you to stand on your feet. No, don't stand. Don't stand. Sit. Don't, don't stand. We're going to do communion. We're going to do communion. Ushers, just begin to come and, and pass out the communion cups. As we receive communion, we're discerning the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Jesus says, Some people are sick and some people sleep. Some people have died because they have not discerned the body of Jesus Christ. And when I talk about discerning the body of Christ, I'm talking about us recognizing that he's called us to be a body, not a building. The church is not a name or an address. It's not a location. You are the church. (laughs) And wherever you go, you bring the church to that place. There are members of the church that speak a different language, that worship to a different beat, that don't dance, that don't clap, that don't have instruments, they don't dress down, they don't dress up. They're a different skin color, but they're the church because they put their faith in the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. It's that church that God has called us to be, a church of a different kind. How do we get to that place? We've got to have five-fold grace, gifts, and leadership to activate us. And this is a moment in this altar call where where God is is saying, I'm I'm activating you, I'm stirring you up. Because the world is waiting for you. Waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Some of you have been wondering, where do I fit in in the body of Christ? Maybe God's called you with an apostolic grace besides other gifts. Or a prophetic gift. You hear the voice of God and you declare the word of the Lord. Apostles need prophets. I need Pastor Marcus. Because I build everything. I go everywhere, but I'm, I submit stuff to him. I'm thinking about this. What do you think? I submit that to you for prayer. I'm thinking about going here. But I need, I need to know the word and the will and the timing of the Lord. We need the evangelist who will be those who will attract people not to themselves but to Jesus. We need the pastors who will bandage your wounds, who will sit with you, who will weep with you, who will feed you, who will clean you up, who will burp you, who will nurture you like a mother. Pastors pastors are the most thankless gift in the body of Christ. They're kind of like mama who just sacrifices and gives everything and, and the kids just step on her and mistreat her and don't say thank you. And you got to now, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? That's a pastor. Oh, thank you. You didn't mean it from your heart. It's a thankless gift. Evangelists are the most visible gift. And the apostles probably the most hidden and misunderstood gift because we don't we don't see the foundation all we see is the carpet and the stage nobody sees the foundation that was laid but you're standing on it had there been no foundation there'd be no building so it's not seen it's not it's not understood we need every gift and those of you that have been wondering where do I fit in If you're part of the body of Christ, if you're saved, God has given you at least one spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. He gave gifts unto men, and to some he called to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You've got a gift. I speak to you right now to stir up the gift of God that is within you. To activate the gift of God that is within you. And the building is a place for identification and for development and for deployment to release you to go and do the work of the ministry in the marketplace, in the municipality, and some even here in the ministry.
But the greatest manifestation of your gifts will be to the world that's waiting to see a church of a different kind. When you go to work, when you go to school, I, I stir up right now. I stir up gifts of revelation. Some of you will begin to receive words of knowledge, words of wisdom. You will begin to walk in a discerning of spirits. Not just, not just discerning demonic spirits, but literally discerning even human spirits. And, and the thoughts and the activities and the motives and the intentions of banned hearts. Revelation gifts. You begin to discern when, when a coworker or a classmate is depressed, contemplating suicide, and God will give you, he'll give you a speaking gift. He'll give you a prophetic word. I activate the, the speaking gifts in this house right now, gifts of prophecy, gifts of tongues, and gifts of interpretations of tongues. For God has called us not just to have prophets, but to be a prophetic people, to be a people who hear, who are tuned into the frequency of heaven. And who speak what thus saith the Lord. I activate the power gifts in this house. Gifts of miracles. Gifts of healings. Gifts of signs and wonders. Gifts of casting out demons. He has called us. He's called us to cast out demons in his name. To lay hands upon the sick in his name. And they shall recover. Those of you that have that speaking gift, just begin to pray in the spirit right now. This is the heritage of the saints of God. Some of you who are not yet in the body of Christ, I'm giving you an opportunity and an invitation right now to make a choice that you're going to begin to live your life for the glory of God. As you're holding these communion cups in your hand, and if you've not yet given your life to Christ, I'm inviting you right now to stand with that cup in your hand and saying, I'm giving my life to Christ or I'm reading, committing myself to God. I invite you right now, if you're recommitting yourself to God or you're giving yourself to Christ for the first time with a cup in your hand, stand boldly and say, I'm giving it all to Jesus right now. I'm going to begin to live my life for the glory of God. I don't care if you're afraid. That's not the spirit of God because he's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. I don't care if you're the only one standing, but if you are recommitting yourself to God right now, hold your cup in your hand and say, Lord, I am willing to leave all. I'm willing to leverage all. I'm going to begin to serve you like never before. I know I've not been in the place where I should have been spiritually, but God, today I make a recommitment of my life and of my mind. God, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for living a life of lukewarmness. I'm sorry for living a life that was neither hot nor cold. But today, Lord, I step out in faith and I stand. I give you my gifts. I give you my time. I give you my talent. I give you my mind. I give you my body. I give you my past, my present, my future. I am yours, Lord. I'm yours, Lord. I'm yours, Lord. Everything I am, everything I've got, and everything I'm not, I'm yours. And you know my name. Father, we thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ, for the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit, and for the love of God. Thank you for that love that you demonstrated by giving us your son, Jesus. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. And you so loved the world that you gave your son, Jesus. Not just us, but you loved the entire world. God, we believe that. And so we're committed to letting the world know of your love for them. This bread that we hold in our hands. Go ahead and open up the, full, the center cellophane and take the bread in your hands. This bread we hold in our hands represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us. But it also represents that same body that we're now a part of. My brothers and sisters who are standing all over this place are now part of the body of Christ. We are many members, yet we are one body. Lord, I thank you that we're all valuable in the body. The hand cannot say to the eye, I don't need you. I'm more important than you. Lord, no, we're all equal in the body of Christ. 
So as we receive this bread, we receive everything that you provided for us through your work and your sacrifice on the cross. Healing of our souls, healing of our minds, healing of our minds, healing of our bodies, healing of every situation and thing that concerns us. Together receive it in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for this cup. It represents the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood. Lord, we plead your blood right now over the places where darkness seemingly is reigning and ruling across the world, where darkness is trying to extinguish the light. But Lord, you said the darkness cannot comprehend the light. All we need is some, some light, folks some Christians to just show up and turn the light on and darkness must flee. So Lord, we pray where the church is being persecuted, where the church is even absent in those places, God, that you would raise up the sons of God to be a church of a different kind, to bring forth your light. So we plead your blood over those places and we bind and we confuse and confound the principalities and powers of darkness even those that are operating here in Milwaukee, Lord. Even the pushback and the opposition that we're feeling from the enemy. We plead the blood against you, Satan. When you come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against you. We're not going to make a truce with you. We're not going to play patty cake with you. We're not going to be at ease in Zion. We plead the blood of Jesus against you, Satan. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. We know who we are, Satan. We're victorious in Christ. We are the sons of God. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkline Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.